that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani, and welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, and you are jumping in in the middle of a fantastic conversation that we had in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, over the course of the ISDA, Italian Sons and Daughters of America, biannual convention a couple weeks ago. We sat down, myself, Pat, and Rosella, with our dear friend Mariana Gatto, who was the co-foundress, as Pat would say, and executive director of the Italian American Museum of Los Angeles. And uh, I hope those of you who are jumping in now have heard last week's episode. If not, please go back and take a listen. This was our attempt to kind of recapture some of the fun of our Power Hour days, a little bit more free-wielding as we prepare to move into our new studio and probably move a little bit more live to tape than we've been in the past. And uh, I have to say the reaction has been really edifying. Everybody has given us great feedback on how much they're enjoying these kind of more casual conversations just between our hosts and while we love the amazing interviews we get to do, uh, at least in my opinion, these are kind of the heart and soul of our show, of the, frankly, the love that we have for one another and uh, getting to share that with everybody out there in the audience. It means a great deal. So we're going to hop back into the middle of this conversation. I'm going to tack on just a brief portion of what we were talking about when we closed the last episode, just to give you some context for what I think is a really thoughtful and thought-provoking conversation about Italian-American identity and a lot of other stuff that's coming your way in the second half. So we hope you enjoy this one, and do let us know if you want to hear more of these kind of power hour specials. You know, we're here at the ISDA convention, right? And the Italian Sons and Daughters in America is an organization that many chapters have, like Pittsburgh, Chicago, Indiana, Ohio, Buffalo, all these places, right? Like a very clear-cut geography. And you could just see it's interesting to kind of monitor the unique uh, experiences of communities in different parts of the country came from different times and places, you mm-hmm. know, and we're seeing it here, butts up against. And, yeah. you know, I love it. I just, you know, I love the opportunity to be here and see, you know, Italian America expressed in yet another lo- unique location. It's just fascinating. For a lady who runs a museum with the name Los Angeles in the title, <laughs> you are everywhere. You do travel because you love this. You can't I help love it. No, I love it. And I think, you know, um, for so many years, many Italian American organizations on a national level have been focused on you know, understandably where their base is, yeah. you know, numerically again. Um, but if we're going to say uh, Italian-American, we really, I think, need to be more inclusive of the many voices that, and I, I'm on my soapbox again. Couldn't agree with you more, but, though. Yeah. You know. And Why? As, In what sense? Because I think that, you know, New York, of course, is where numerically the majority of Italians settled. And it is, you know, a huge, probably one of the defining aspects of the Italian-American experience. But I think Italian-Americans from other parts of the country almost measure themselves against New York, against what is the definition What's of What's bad Italian- about that? <laughs> well, because it's, you know, there's lots of different... Um, Iterations, iterations, manifestations. There's, there's no one right way to be Italian American. No, exactly. And yeah, but if you if they want to be like us, that's a positive. Well, and but so and a lot of <laughs> and, and many people do right, and that's for a number of reasons. You know, the media being part of it too. Um, I think a lot of us kind of like, well, you know, you have to speak this way, or people will say like, you know, you don't have an Italian accent. It's like, well, what I does was that born, mean? I was born in Los Angeles. It's like, yeah, but you still don't speak like an Italian. Yeah. It's like, well, no, you mean like a Brooklyn, you know, Brooklynese or yeah. you know something else, right? And um, so, but that, yeah, that's the representation. <laughs> I mean, I say this as a person from Brooklyn, right, who's lived that sort of 
uh, expected strain of Italian American life. But because of the way the media is, because of mass media, because of portrayals in fiction, you know, mm-hmm. characters and things like that, I think most people have come to conflate a very, you know, New York, New Jersey, tri-state. And I don't even say tri-state because if you know, Connecticut's yeah. different, whatever. Yeah. New York, New Jersey, kind of both sides of the Hudson River, Italianness mm-hmm. with Italian Americanness, and and I remember at NIAF, you know, I was twenty eight and started my career there, and and it was the first time I really got to travel throughout Italian America extensively. I had visited California a couple of times, served on the board of the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago, but those are still major urban centers, right? And I started to realize, like, when I would be in places like this in Pittsburgh or with groups like the ISDA or, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and now we've, we've Taunty Town, Arkansas, exactly, yeah. and, you know, all these places that we go. And you realize, like, every group is different. Every community has roots in different parts of Italy, came at different times immigration, mixed with different cultures here. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat, you pointed out today, Brendan and I were out in Bloomfield, and we saw a sign that said Tuesday special hot sausage sandwiches. And we went in. And the guy said, I don't have any more kielbasa. So I said, well, we'll have a hot sausage sandwich. And he was like, I just told you I don't have any more kielbasa. And I thought to myself, how are you conflating kielbasa with Italian hot sausage? But you pointed out in a place like Pittsburgh, a lot of the mixing that went on in, in marriages was with Slavic cultures, right? Polish. And so that's the same thing in their mind, right? So like those little nuances of what the experience was and how it was so, different. I mean, even speaking to like some Italian Bostonians, you don't have to go far from New York and there's already like, well, what, you know, some of them will say, oh, well, you know, New York gets all the attention, you know, and it, we're, we're a distinct group. You don't even have to go to more remote places like our, our friends in Colorado and I won't bring up Pueblo, but I'll speak about Denver, <laughs> you know. Um, you, you look at what these young people are doing in Denver right now, you know, really resurrecting their feasts and um, you, you ask them what they are. And, you know, Jen they, they is might a dynamo. Be, you know, three and four out. generations later, they're in their 20s and they're, you know, just as Italian-American or even more than you know, those who are in their 60s and, you know, 70s. And so uh, just to, like, kind of open up the identification a little bit broader. You know See, what I, has think, I think me? it's just, it's very special that we're a, a group of people that, traveled the country to see these different groups because like you know uh, no one's a bigger diehard italian american from brooklyn than me but i had a lot of opportunity when i was younger when i was writing my even before my books came out to go to different festa italianas and i've been to the festa italiana in milwaukee in uh in indianapolis and and that's when i really started to understand that like Italian Americans, uh, you know, th- it's not just about the New York Italian Americans. Yeah. And not everybody's trying to be yeah. a New York Italian American. So a lot of these people are really happy with their own traditions and the kielbasa sandwich because <laughs> it's what they grew up yeah. with. And who am I to but, tell but them Gara, yeah. that years they're ahead, wrong? Like, if you tie in the Italian American Future Leaders Conference, to me, that was January. Mm-hmm. And here we are in August. And that was the head and this is the tail in this sense. What has shocked me is because when we first came to ISDA, Tansons and Daughters of America, maybe it was three conventions ago that you brought me. Yeah, a while back now, yeah. Three or four. They didn't know us and we didn't know them, but now we know them and they know us. And what has really impressed me are people in their 80s who are of mixed ancestry. Think about this. If your ancestor came to anywhere in America in 1870 and they have a kid about 1890, that kid in 1890 
has kids in the early 1930s. I'm not talking about Pearl Swore or 39, 1934, 1933. There's a lot of people here where now, now they're second generation American born. So if you figure, okay, grandpa comes from wherever in Italy, 1880, has an American born kid, 1890, who's probably a World War I vet or the spouse of a World War I vet, and they might marry a non Italian and have. A kid in 1934, 1935, who's half Italian, half Slovak, or half Italian, half Lithuanian. And now, that person born in the 30s is a great-grandparent. Yeah. So there's a lot of people involved in this organization who are fractionally Italian, genetically. But they don't, it doesn't matter to them. But that's been our whole argument with IAFL, because New Jersey and New York had constant immigration, right? Constantly. So the Italian... Marriage pool kept getting restocked. And, you know, if you take to New Jersey, even even now there's people in New York and New Jersey who are Italians, who's kids in their 20s who finagled away because of a parent who was born here in the 60s or 50s who've come. And we do have immigrants. I mean, it's a very small community, but we do have immigrants who've come in now. So our argument has been is if if, if we don't inter- if we in, if we marry out, is that going to destroy the the Culture, culture or the or the identity, right? Yeah. So what we've said is okay, the identity, the new generation is gonna define the identity, right? So I can't tell a Gen Z what's it what's after Gen Z? I have no Whatever, idea. Whatever, post Gen yeah. Z. I can't as a Gen Xer who's approaching a half century mark in eighteen months, I can't tell that person how they're gonna define their own sense of who they are, right? But I think the fact that we were on buses today with people who are in their eighties, who are maybe half Italian. Right, and to have great grandchildren who are fractional, right? That they don't see, they don't see that as any way disconnecting them from being Italian American. Yeah, and I think that's, and I never connected. I never thought of that when we were in, when we were beating that drum in in Florida. Yeah, I didn't think about these people here, but now that we're here, I th- and I think Ar- Arkansas by far is the number one example of that. Yes. We went to Arkansas. Tanti Town was the thing Tanti that I Town loved about the people in Arkansas was that they were all Northern Italians, and even though they were from Arkansas, and they, it was like, "Where are y'all from?" It's like, oh, "I'm Barres. I'm Sicilian. I'm Navaladon." They were like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> are ya?" <laughs> no, but they—I don't. They, I they, felt, were very, they knew we were from where they were from. Yeah, they. You they think, I don't. Th- I didn't find that like, at all. No, no, it wasn't like it wasn't like when you meet. Some guy from Milano in New York, you know, who's just going to look at you like you're the the bellboy. Uh, it, it was just, it was subtle. But it was it different. Was there. They knew it was different. They knew it was distinct. Yeah, it yeah. was subtle, but it was there. It's like, see, we're all from like, uh, where were they all from? Varese, I think. They were yeah, like Varese. From, they were from. They were from like Ven, like. It was Veneto. There was people from Veneto. People from Lombardia. Yeah, yeah. It was like, like it was like a, a, a Savoy. If the Savoys had a a, a, a master race, <laughs> you know, the chicken ravioli lady looked at it. She's like, see, my people. People are from the Veneto. <laughs> Did she say that? Yes. Yeah. And I thought it was fantastic because, you know, here's, uh, you know, Italian pride. Yeah. Campanalismo a la Arkansas. It happens right. all the time. And like, listen, we, like, we are very proud people. Yeah. Like, I, I was happy to see that, that, what's the word I'm looking for? Nationalism? Campanalismo. Uh, yeah, campanalismo. Yeah, that that like, regionalism, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was happy to see it there because like, that showed me they were very connected yeah. to being Italian. Arkansas was the best example. I mean, if I could take anybody out because there are kids who are 100% genetically Italian-American in New Jersey who don't have, are not 
are not even a, a, a anywhere near as proud as those kids were in Arkansas. Yeah. So shame on us, really. Yeah. It's it's great proof. Like when we first started the show, the Power Hour, which is now four years or three years ago, something like that. Uh, How many years are we doing this? A long time. They're like all blended in. Sometimes it feels like a million five years, years ago, ago and then sometimes oh, it feels wow. like yesterday. five years ago, July. Um, or we started a little before. But anyway, I was writing this concept Bible, and one of the episodes I wanted to do was about this, like the intermarriage question. And I remember you, Pat, saying like, "I don't want to touch that." But I think now, after five years of doing this. I think it's a really good episode in the future because I think all of us are great advocates for the idea that the mentality of if you don't marry another Italian, you But we somehow... framed it differently. That's yeah, maybe. why my thing is this is that when when people now who have listened to us understand our approach to things, you can have a conversation because like when I meet listeners and that's nothing I enjoy more than meeting listeners in person, I know them. They know me. I've learned I've know them a little bit from online engagement, but wouldn't you say what you see is what you get with me? Yes, you right? were. <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. it, right? There's no but, acting. But I, I think that now they, they understand our thinking is that I think the big framework is going to be like, because I had a conversation with one of the people here who lived in Italy for a, a big amount of time, Italian-American, who went back there, worked in Italy, came here, spent, and we were discussing Argentina. And Argentina is like over 50%. Pe- every, like, 60%. 60% of people in Argentina have some kind of Italian descent. Yes. But they they identify with it very. I mean, they say it, but it's they're not flying green, white, and red flags during the World Cup, or no. even though they have their own team. Like, no. You don't go walking around in Buenos Aires and see Italian food everywhere. No, they have ravioli, sorrentinos, and that's all, and it's not really. But <laughs> the, the reason I'm going with that is that they chose. It was a choice of their population that they don't identify. I feel Italian Americans identify much more. Yeah, because it's so much harder for us to integrate here. Like you think about Brazil. Brazil's got more Italians by DNA. Than Italy does, right? There's so many people in this massive country in Brazil have Italian background. Argentina, it happens to be that they're in the significant majority. But in Brazil, you know, it's it's like, I, frankly, it's like a lot of American people who are of backgrounds like, um, you know, Welsh or um, Scotch-Irish. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a really tacked on addendum, I guess, mm-hmm. to their identity. Can we say that, though? I, I mean, I mean, it I mean how like many that. Welsh people do we know? Not many. I mean, it's like it's like the Norwegian, but it's not like us. It's clear. Well, no, it's I would like agree the with John. It's not. It's, it's not just like, like us. So deeply integrated. It's yeah. almost like it's. It really was more of like an assimilationist. Yeah. Like it was. Well, I think they were because it was easier to assimilate. They were yeah. white and white. They were, yeah. yeah. And I mean, than we were. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, but like, wasn't the immigration also earlier? Yeah. It was like kind of, you know, post Civil War. Yeah. That was the majority of but it. So look at Germany. Yeah. But you know, look German immigration. Germans were immigrating to this country until. Not that long ago, mm-hmm. in significant numbers. It's the largest ethnic background in the country. Mm-hmm. You don't see German American organizations like we no. have. You don't because yeah, but why? hold on because, to their defense. Yeah, to their defense, they were probably the most nationalistic Americans. Yes, they before went, they hit yeah. those two wars. That's yeah. fair. Didn't help. Them. You know, in Jersey yeah. City, yeah, there yeah. were three German parishes in Jersey City. You're right. Saint Nick's in Jersey City because I knew an Italian American who went to Saint Nick's that had German nuns in. Years before World War Two, mm-hmm. sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in Saint Nick's was what totally in German before the war. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. I didn't think about the war experience, but my point being, like, we didn't care about the war. It's like, hey, we were on the other side. <laughs> then we changed sides. Now we're on your side. For today, we may be back on their side, depending on how things go. We changed go. sides in both wars, actually. But uh, I, I think, like you know, you look at Argentina and Brazil, and it's so much easier in a, you know, Catholic Iberian. 
culture for the Italians to integrate. So it's much easier to just become yeah, Brazilian but, or Argentinian yeah, but first. Spain and, and the Spanish colonies in particular, right? This isn't to stir everything up and I get 8,000 annoying emails. But, um, oh, Boyle P.I. <laughs> hey, so we someone, you know, Spain's concept was we're going to conquer a country and then we're going to intermarry them. Yeah. So when the British came in here, we we're just going to kill people and move them onto reservations. Spain intermarried because Spain's idea was going to make you Catholic and Spanish. Right. Right. Yeah. And we're going to intermarry you. You're going to speak Spanish. You're going to be Catholic. I mean, think about the impact of the world where Spain, because of actions that happened in 1492, is now still the third most, Castellano yeah. Spanish is still the third most spoken language in the world. Right. But they were, I think Spain worked overtime. You will become Spanish. Right. So, and I think when the Italians got there, I think because it's the language is really that similar. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's mutually yeah. intelligible. And I think, you know, there was Catholicism and there was enough of Latin that. Um, you saw that played out in Spain's colonies elsewhere, including in Los Angeles, right? So it started as a Spanish colony and becomes, you know, part of Mexico, then part of the United States. But the Italians who immigrated to Los Angeles right at that cusp when it was changing from Spanish rule to Mexican rule, they were um, accepted you know, so much more and were able to achieve upward mobility earlier. Why? You know, again, there was no anti-Catholicism. There's a Spanish language. There's kind of this similar culture, almost even similar laws. And so you saw the Italians who came to Los Angeles and Southern California adopt Spanish names, learn to speak Spanish, marry um, California or Spanish, you know, women. So, it, you know, it wasn't only in places like Argentina. Right. So like the earliest group of Italians who came to Los Angeles, they actually would, you know, be accepted among like that. We call them like the gente de razón, like the more or the signori, like they they were able to enter that world. Um, And then the ones that followed, you saw like this kind of a little bit of like division between them because this first group is mostly northern they uh become accepted and then come the southerners afterwards they're like oh no no you guys are different than us <laughs> i mean remember this Close is like you know this is you. this is like shortly after the unification of italy right yeah so um i don't know just fascinating but you know what's interesting as you bring this up the irish in argentina have a very strong identity mm. it's very interesting I think the Irish, who are really a minority, there was like three counties in the southeast of Ireland that sent a lot of people to Argentina. So what happened was in 1689, when the Jacobite forces were defeated, and and the Irish nobility, the Irish Catholic aristocracy, had backed James II. When William and Mary beat James II, anyone in Ireland with money and titles got out. Mm. Some went to the continent, some went to France, some went to actually went to Italy. There's a, there's a family in the Chilento with the name Rielli, who are Riley's, wow. who got out. Well. But a lot of them went to South America where they caused a lot of trouble. <laughs> so a lot of, all, those, all those 18, 19, 18, 20 rebellions against the Spanish crown, there's always an Irish name in there, <laughs> right? And the father of the Argentine Navy was Irish, <laughs> um, Brown. But the reason I'm bringing it up is that it's, it's fun. I don't know why that is, but in Ireland, because the Irish president has gone to Argentina, the Irish went very early to South America before they went here. The rich Irish went to South America. The poor Irish came here. Um, but is it the Latin factor? I don't know. But I just wonder if that's the case. You know, we've done episodes on the Italian impact of the American Civil War, and I've always been interested in the Southern Italian impact. So I've done a lot of research on the relations between the U.S., the Confederate States, and the European powers, particularly Italy. And uh, I learned a lot about when the secession hit, leading up to Fort Sumter and after. 
a lot of the sort of social diplomacy that was undertaken by the Confederate states was to reframe their collection of states as a Latin cultural center because it had a, as they expressed it, you know, there was a significant French population that was still Catholic and you had this more sort of uh, monarchical seigneurial tradition with these great estates and plantations. And so when they went back to Europe, their appeal was to sort of say to like the French and the Spanish as those kind of powers, like, hey, we're actually secretly one of you, even though the majority of them were, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, just the same. But it's really interesting to think, is there this sense of that like Latin culture mm. um, and was it easier for us to integrate into that in South America? I think the, I think the answer is yes. You know, well, the, yes. the Catholics and the Irish in the pre-Civil War era were much better treated in the South than they were in the North. Yeah, I could see that. The Irish were much more integrated. And, and again, there was Catholics more Catholicism more in the South yeah. than there was. And like, you know, it's Spain ruled over the South of Italy for how many hundreds of years? Well, Jefferson years? Davis, I think, went to a Jesuit school. Yeah, so this is, this makes sense, you know. And I, I just think that there's something to be said about that. And uh, Do you think people are still listening at this point? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> people tell me, as I've been, we've been traveling more and interacting with the audience, they tell me they like the episodes where it's just us hanging out, and this is really our conversation John normally. So. This is this is John. This is the John. Episode. I will say I'll go on the on the record saying I much prefer us having these conversations than bringing in guests. And I, I love our guests. We have great guests, but I like this. This is how we talk normal. So because you're the Sicilian, small close room. <laughs> yes, I'm true. the Neapolitan. I would wow. bring. I, think about I would that. bring in fifty people. I would have a ruckus filled. Yeah, ninety people with a microphone on. John would rather just three or four people just that us. he likes. Just yeah. us. That's, That's well. So when you start the Sicilian American podcast, <laughs> it'll just be me talking have, to myself. You yeah. and Cavaliere Gatto. <laughs> you guys should do a, sh- a show sometime about the like the little Italian settlements in Mexico where they still oh, speak. Oh, I would love uh, that. You know the dialects of. I have uh, cousins down there. Really? Yeah. The Valle di Diano in Salerno. I actually know people from Padula. Padula had a colony in Mexico City. Well, that's, I'd yeah. love to do that. I'd like to go down there and film. That would That'd be, be cool. Like the Chipileño, I think it's. Oh, that's, that's, you can teach us yeah. about that. <laughs> well, as we say around here, that is a whole other episode. <laughs> and uh, I, this is the kind of stuff I like. We started out by talking about our. Sicilian American long. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Small room. <laughs> the latest episode. John likes it. Very very That's well. a very Italian thing to break off and do your yes, own podcast. Yes, it is. That's true. It's like the, when Mola Di Body community, when, you know, the, the, so she who shall not be mentioned, broke off and started her own Madonna club. You know? <laughs> well, that, you know, we're, we're building this new studio and the whole goal the is to create American new shows. Podcast. So here Whoa, we go. Whoa, that would be. But, you know, you'd be flying solo. I if mean, I, I left and I started a Sicilian podcast, would you rename this? the Neapolitan American podcast? Or <laughs> no, I be, I name it everybody but the Sicilian podcast. <laughs> but John's half buddies. John is half buddies. John, think, well, John oh, thinks a lot of buddies too. What's that? You have buddies. I mean, your brain works oh, buddies. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm a wonderful mosaic of Southern Italy. <laughs> you really are. You should. You, you are the anointed king of our people. <laughs> I don't know about that. Don't anoint me anything. The bourbon king. <laughs> Nobody wants to be anointed to be any you kind mar- of You position. married Abruzzes. I did, yeah. Right. And Southern Lazio. She's got... Uh, All that, well, no, there is no such thing as Southern Lazio. That's Northern Campania. Right. But, oh, you know, boy. You know what I'm saying. I, I, I'd go to the trenches for I that know one. you would. The only region of Italy you don't have represented in, in your household is Calabria. In the south, the only region I don't have in my, in my house is uh, Calabria and Molise. Well, Molise is a brutto on most uh, days of the week. Unless you're Molise-on. <laughs> well, you don't think so? I want, that'd be an yeah, interesting yeah, I mean, conversation. I mean, they're, they're both very nice. I can't wonderful say. Wonderful people. Nice people. A lot of them here in Pittsburgh. Lots of trees. That's of my that theory. I've said this before. Cleveland has a huge Italian population. It was the fifth biggest city in the United States. They're kind of like, no one thinks of Cleveland's Italian population because they're all from Abruzzo and Molise, and they are people who don't start trouble. Yeah. 
And the Neapolitans went to New York and they explosive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the Cleveland Italians non esistono. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, correct. They say Molise non esiste because the Abruzzese people make beat sales and don't start trouble. <laughs> They're not in Philly. I mean, Philly had a little bit more of a mix. but There's a areas, lot of them in Colorado. Yeah, Abruzzese are no, you don't see them because they don't give you any grief. They're no trouble. I've never, can you really, I mean, we, we know a few troublesome Abruzzese people, right? We'll leave the names out of the conversation. There's some of them that start waves, but in general, Abruzzese people are very nice. Yeah, they're easy lovely. Easygoing. I think, I think no the trouble. audience knows my admiration and devotion for Abruzzese and Molizan. And, you know, you talk about pizzelles, and one of the things I loved, because I didn't, I, I don't know if they didn't have it the past couple of conventions we've come to, because this is our first one in Pittsburgh, which is the headquarters of the ISDA and the, the, the largest part of the population. At the welcoming dinner, after the buffet and everything, they had a cookie table, and it was all made by the women of the community and the lodges here, and everybody brought their own cookies, and of course, pizzelles were- uh, Well represented. Well represented, <laughs> yeah, amongst the others, which the, the cherry tops. Butter cookies, I saw the most of, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. There's cucidati and sesame cookies and stuff, but it was such a nice thing for me because we were talking about these Italian weddings used to have cookie tables and who brought them. Well, the, just just, just because we're probably winding up getting two episodes out of this. Yeah. The cookie table was all there was. Yeah, exactly. Back in Italy, a wedding was the night of the, um, after the church, the family went back and had, the immediate family had a small lunch in the house. And then that night there'd be booze and there'd be, cookies yeah that, and that but that last year that's some of the beautiful things about going to more i don't want to say remote this is a very delicate i don't know what i would say but areas that kind of have a frozen and italian that didn't get really any immigration after world war one that's a real break off point they've preserved things that have kind of gone extinct or kind of on the verge of extinction in other places and this, this very strong especially Pitts, pittsburgh is the cookie table capital yeah, exactly. That's, that's very that's connected to who they are. And I, I've heard that, right? Or I, I've heard it like kind of remotely. But then we came here today and, it, and they kept referring to the cookie table. Mm. And it was like a point of conversation, even in the conference meetings. And I thought to myself, like, this is a very real and present and lived thing for these people. And I love the fact that we got to be part of that. And it just, I mean, but just by eating. But yeah, like I, I noticed it in Rochester too. I A lot of people in Rochester still do the cookie table. There's cookbooks buffalo mm. so there's a cookie table that sort of you know western new york uh which is closer to here right do you know what my grandma used to say the cakes didn't come around till after the war i could i could believe that yeah. i think the cookie table is one of the most diffused italian traditions in italian america do you really i, th I do i do because you'll you'll find you know uh i'll see facebook posts from women in uh in the south that yeah, you know have an Italian American an Italian last name, and you know they're they're doing a cookie table, and they have one great aunt that was you know from Italy and and stuff, and they bring that tradition into it. I think it. a I, lot of that was economics, like Pat's point that post World War II, because cookies were much more like affordable and they, they lasted longer. My grand my grandmother said, longer, to, "See yeah. the the benefit I have, and I hope she appreciates it wherever she is." And my grandmother appreciates. I would annoy her constantly with questions she's like why would you care she'd ask me like why do you care about this why do you ask me these questions and my grandmother said to me that because the i would say between 40 1945 and 1950 the transition years mm -hmm. so once you hit 52 two things happen before the war they wake the body in the house and the wedding reception was either in the house or was in a hall and it was a football wedding between 
45 and 50 52. The wakes go to funeral parlors and the weddings go to catering facilities where it's a sit down dinner. They were the transitional years. And the, and the least in the, in the Jersey City, New York, Brooklyn area, the cookies, my grandmother said that, that you would go to a bakery. Now, that's how when you had money. So you, instead of you making 18 bushels of cookies, the Italian bakeries were basically cookie bakeries, right? Mm-hmm. And they would make a huge mountain of cookies and they would have the bride and groom figurine on top of the cookies. Wow. And then my grandmother said that the, basically the bride and groom figurine migrated from the cookie mountain to the wedding cake. Yeah. But that was those transition years. Now, maybe the football style wedding maybe probably lasted in places like Pittsburgh and Cleveland, probably longer into the 60s than it did by us. Right. Was, you know, like, I'm shocked to hear Ro and Mariana say that it's a diffused tradition still today because I feel like this is the first time or, or one of the first times I've really encountered it in an active way, which is great to hear that it continues to go on. But, like, you know, all of these things, what's old is often new again. And maybe because I'm married now and it's over, but, like, I, I can see the appeal of a football wedding nowadays. You know, you, you want more people to celebrate. A wedding costs as much as a, a, a college a, tuition. College tuition and a house <laughs> combined, right? Like, so wouldn't it be nice to think like. They're more fun. They're more fun. You get to see people, yeah. you get to hang out, people pop in and out. I think that that's really nice. I think the idea that some of these things, you know, if they hold on long enough, maybe they no, get No, my grandma used to say, now, if you heard this in a past episode, please don't annoy me. What do you want from me? I only have a fixed set with. of information. <laughs> My grandmother said that in the, the pre-war years and the post-war years, there was a limited amount of sandwiches. Like there was a finite amount. And my friend's grandmother and I, because I would ask a multiplicity of women of that generation. So the night before the wedding, the men of the family, so your brother-in-law and your uncle and your cousin would all get together or even early the morning of the wedding and slice the bread and stuff the cold cuts into the sandwiches. Right? So that was like a male job. But once you ran out of the sandwiches, then they just had cookies. Wow. But the cookies and the beer, wine, the band, and the alcohol. And my grandmother said to me that you needed that schiaffaduna bag, right? The silk purse that you put the envelopes in. Because my grandmother said they would use small square envelopes and put change in there. Wow. So my grandmother said people would go with a nickel. People would go with a quarter. People would go with a dime. Because that was how the dating system worked. So you could go to a wedding and meet a guy. So hmm. when in, a, in a world where dating and a town, you know, so you would crash weddings. So once, if you went once the sandwiches were gone, like if you went in the evening, yeah. nobody looked askance at you. So if you had two 18-year-old girls, right, that crashed, because you weren't going out to find guys. Because it wasn't you, crashing, it was visiting. You, you, were, you, were, you were going to the wedding, so they'd, have like a, they'd bring a, a small envelope with a nickel, a quarter, a dime in it, and that would go to the bride. So I guess they'd have a, that, that big heavy purse of change, right? Yeah. And that's how you could meet a boy and talk to a boy under the radar screen. It makes that was sense. Under, pass on to something there. This could yeah. be <laughs> <laughs> a part we dating service. Our, yeah. Our, yeah, that's you know. how that's how she said you could kind of like they would crash crashing weddings was a very common, but it was like after it was like later in the night you could yeah. go and just like walk in after the main reception. They still over do that the, in Italy. They still act that, that way in Italy. Did that come from Italy? It must have because it's like very customary that like when the dinner's over, you can go and dance. Wow. They do that a lot. I didn't realize that. Yeah. People were, a lot of people were going to do that to, to me. So then we <laughs> got elected to change countries. That is so, <laughs> I had no idea because that is so funny you say that. My, my friend's grandmother. So you, you take the pool of women born between 
1913 and 1920 that I used to annoy these questions with. She told me that she had a thousand people at her wedding reception. Yep. And you had to hand, I guess they hand, like Italy, they would hand deliver the invitation. Yeah. And her father, I think they were from Santa Cristina in Calabria. Her father forgot to give two guys who like Gumbada Baizan the invitations. And they did not go. I don't think they like ever spoke again. They cut them off. So funny you say that because I was about to say my grandmother on my buddy's side, my grandmother Carmela, her parents probably got married nineteen twenty something, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know when. Uh, I'd have to dig into that. They had a thousand people at the wedding, and you just brought back into my memory a totally, totally forgotten fact, which was my grandmother always said that they went and hand-delivered all of those invitations. And, of course, if you think about it, right, they were delivering them through an enclave where you go to one building, you delivered six to eight of them, right? So it was like you know, they weren't hiking all over like we do with all these people flying into town and stuff. But I had totally forgotten about that, and that's exactly how they did it. And we always said, oh, my gosh, how did they have a 1,000 people? But if they were coming in, you know, bring change, you know, come for the cookies, maybe come for the – it's a different kind of thing, right? It's not a – formal lockdown dinner and it's not you know you're, you're you're paying by the head you're making the food and people are making the cookies and stuff so you could see where a thousand person weddings back then were probably not yeah. abnormal and you lived in a village Absolutely. With, you're in a you village knew where like you know everybody's going to come out to greet you even if they're not seated at the table oh you know what they all go back? to church yeah in italy they all come and see you at the church too like at the church, you you and you'll see the ladies in the vestalia or whatever the people that just want to see the bride. That's a thing in America, in New York. You do that. You're a stalker. <laughs> no, my mother's generation. I a lot they of people all... that came to my wedding for the church but didn't come to the reception, which I thought was really interesting. That yeah. was the Jersey City thing. They all used to go because they had a comment on the bride's dress. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd go with the curlers in their hair. Yeah. The, the, see it first. The, what do you call those? Like the scarf on their head. Well, because remember back then there was no Facebook. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And they would if you all... didn't get a good look, you weren't going to see the pic. You had to wait for somebody to like go develop the camera and show you the picture. You had to go do a visita. Now we're late. Now you know. Oh, I'm going to see it in eight hours anyway. Yeah. If you, eight if hours, you eight see, minutes. Yeah. If you see those old 1950s, early 1960s church pictures, you have a lot of old ladies in the house dress with the overcoat over because they just snuck out and they had the hair and curls and they were with the hank whatever you call it, the scarf on it. But then a lot of them, like my mother would say, a lot of them would not go dressed to the church. And then they would go home after the church and then get dressed for the wedding. But let me just tell you a bit of this for, for the sake of posterity. So my, fr- my friend's grandmother who was born in 1913. She was married 1934 and 1933. I can't remember. Maybe 32, but amongst those years. She said to me, so her father forgot to give the Tugumbada the invitation. And he went to them and said, why didn't you come to the wedding? And they said how insulted they were. He goes, but you, you were my close friends. You knew I would have invited you. Why? And they held it against them. They were insulted. Like, that wow. was the end of it. And he's like, we're so close. Why, why are you? You know I would never do this to you. But you know what my aunt remembered? And my aunt was born in 1909. And my aunt was married, I think, in 34. My grandmother's sister. She told me about her and my great-grandmother. So when they would, I guess, walk to church for the wedding like they did in Italy, they would stop in front of the house. And the Navidad word is Awandira. It's a, the tray. They would put flowers, change the confit and the candy, and you would throw it on the bride. Wait, what? Explain yeah, you never heard me. this? They they no. would, they would, still do this in Italy. At least it, it, this was definitely done in Italy. 
when the bride walks through the town, right? When she passes your house, they throw chain. Back then, there was no paper currency. Sure, the, the two Sicilies was the last country in the world that didn't have a paper currency. Yeah, that's true. right. So they would put change, flowers, and candy in the form, I guess, of confetti, confiet. Yeah. And when the bride and groom would pass, they would flick the stuff on the tray at them. It was thrown on them. That's so interesting. And my aunt remembered they were still doing that when she got in the 30s. They were still. Because she would say, oh, when someone was getting married, they're making the tray, uh, wandia, getting the wandia ready for when the couple would pay. People they knew. I mean, you weren't right, fun of course, they were just So if strangers, somebody, yeah. when when a, a Bizan couple or a friend couple walked by, they would throw the tray of stuff on them. Like they would dump, they, they would do the same thing they did in Italy. But that, I haven't thought, that memory hasn't had, entered my head in probably 30 years, that conversation. We're recalling they, a lot. They said, <laughs> I, I remember my aunt saying that. You know, it's funny you talk about the confiette, the Jordan almonds, whatever you call them in English, because uh, I was having a, you know, this, since this is a meandering conversation, after <laughs> all, I was having a conversation with Nicole because my mother-in-law is often the one to procure them for friends and compadi and people that we know. And a lot of Nicole's friends who are Italian, uh, some part Italian, whatever, they go to her and my mother-in-law to get them. And my mother-in-law used to go to... um Cherini in on Arthur Avenue and get them and and they would do them wrapped as the flowers and you know for baptisms yeah. and whatever and I guess their business has evolved and they're doing so much in foods and coffee and stuff like that that they're not doing the wrapping anymore so my mother-in-law had to do it for one of our friend's son's baptism and uh, it really struck me because I think you know th- there's a tradition to me that like seemed like it was good for the ages right like nobody's gonna take away the confetti the jordan almonds everybody still i think a lot of people still do that at different occasions particularly weddings but you know what happens if the millennials the, blame let's let's have a millennial no no but moment. it wasn't no that they want it they the people they you want, think they do yeah that's what i'm saying i think they're very like that's such a waste no no it's, i don't even no, know what no, they are they want them Why don't no, think no, somebody no, keeps going my to my point. wedding no 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 you're totally wrong you're totally wrong on this everybody wants them but the question becomes you know you could put them in a little baggie but like those those old art things where they would kind of make them in the flower shape that's and, new is that really? Yeah, in the 80s. The no con- way it's not. In the 80s, the, the bomboniera were more ornate than anything. No, I didn't say that. Back up. Like the, Let's the hold wrapping, on. The ra- hold yeah. on. I, I, in the on. 80s, maybe it was maybe you were more advanced in Brooklyn or more with it or more high end. It was those little silken, not silken, it was a little piece of like a netting, a white yes, netting. that's what I'm talking about. And they put the stuff in it and then and they, they put it at the top and the, the ribbon right always had like, you know, like, uh, it, you know, like Juwan and Marie on the right. thing, and they were tied up with the date. And then when they got divorced, you still had, you still <laughs> had, had the almonds. You still had the almonds and the bombonieta in the I tried to institute a new rule in my house that if they got divorced, we had to eat them. Yeah, but hold on. The other thing is the new... The new thing to me is the ones that you slip in the little purse that looks like a flower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you think that's new? That's I would I say have. that 1980s. Oh, that really? was not I, going on in the 60s. No, I, I guess that's I a new. Older. That's well, a that's, new thing. Th- if it, if there's not a store, who doing was it? listening to this? No, but I mean, the boxes, still the bomboniera, when the the wrapping of the bomboniera in the 80s. I mean, you can't. That no, was that's, the golden age. That's true age. because because yeah. the stuff from Italy with the lira was so cheap. Yeah. So you really made out at a wedding. You go home with an ice bucket. Remember the ice bucket age? But it wasn't Everybody even, had an ice bucket. Forget what was inside. The box was always wrapped like, you know, yeah. three different kinds of could, ribbons, a flower, <laughs> yes, yeah. the pearl spray. So my the, mother-in-law oh, still does those. And, I could arm a fire brigade. Stuff. I could arm a fire brigade with Italian crystal bombonietta <laughs> ice buckets from the 80s. <laughs> and they all had the matching, the handle, and the 
So tongs. The tongs will yeah. always match. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how those things change. Like what we can still get our hands on. And no, because the millennials listen. Don't beat me up because you know who you are. You're out there. <laughs> your mother wanted to get favors. You said no. Maybe now you're a born again Italian. You're listening. But you, <laughs> you screwed up. You're probably going to screw up for the kid too. When you christen the kid, you have to have the gunfiat again. Yes, that's true. But you know, and if you have a nut allergy, I I'm sympathetic <laughs> to that. They make them with chocolate now. Yes. Yeah, so true. you know, you could have the if your sister will can't sit next to almonds, we can make it work. We had the almonds and we had the jijita beans at my wedding because that's yours the was on count. a different level. That was the jijita I beans. Took, obviously, different. I think wow. seriously, yeah. Do you think she would have done it if it hadn't been for you? If no. she had married somebody else, she no. would never have done it. No, I de- definitely not. No, hundred. I mean, it was not. There's an easy thing to do. Do you think she appreciates it now? Yes, is it like, is very much so. She'll never give you credit for it. it Maybe the one of the few things she will actually. She that's how much I think she appreciated it. I mean. She'll never listen, so we'll never know. I could ask her, but it, it was a big deal for us because for those who haven't Name listened, your kids' normal names. <laughs> Don't name them these whacked-out names that are professions in some countries. <laughs> Gave them the confieta for the christening. Even, you know, I mean, there's certain things you got to... Even for the for the communion, get the boom yet. It makes us who we are. If we yeah, go sad, awesome. we're going to have nothing left. It's, it's good luck, too. I, those, those chichi beans, though, that, that was a big deal and ended up being a big deal because for those who haven't listened in the past, my wife's... Father's Town, Pescaceroli, and Abruzzo. I don't know. They're the only town. And that's the capital of Confetti, right? The town They probably Simona, had a war with Simona in like probably, And they said, okay, we're only doing chichi yeah. beans now. But they do chickpeas that are like cooked in uh, like a potion with all these herbs and roots and spices. And then they have to polish them in white sand. And it takes like months. And the older ladies in the in the family and the compadre in the town, they make it and they have to pray over it. And they sing certain songs. And it takes all these months. And then you get dried chechi beans with a little bit of flavor, right? They have like a, they kind of taste like cornflake chechi beans. But there's another thing too. The modern palate needs super sweet stuff. They're subtle. They're very subtle. They're subtle. Yeah. They're probably back in 13, when they had the war with Simona and said, we're not going to get <laughs> confieta from you anymore. Yeah. We're going to do our own thing. They probably had a subtlety of sweetness that yes. was just enough for the medieval peasant. Yeah. Who had sweets maybe once or twice a year when there was a wedding of a rich noble. Exactly. Or Christmas. But they're a beautiful tradition. And I love the fact that, like, yes, you could buy almonds. I highly recommend you do it, encourage it, because it's a part of our culture. But this was like the women had to make it. Her aunts in, in the town had to, had to take it on the task and accept it for us. And, and she got to fly to Italy with her dad to his town in the middle of the fall. And pick them up, and See, it was a really nice experience. Can I them. jump in on this? And because I'll never understand the millennial brain. You're probably gonna you, you run to this event. You have your kids in eight thousand activities. This activity, that activity. Why don't you have an activity of baking cookies for these events? Yeah, and get all of your kinfolk involved because yeah. that's a team building, family building, build the team exercise. I mean, the best, the best how the best memories I have of the holidays. It's helping my mother and my grandmother. Totally. You know, so then why, you know, why are you complaining about it? But you're going to have another, what's the, when they run in the mud? Mudder. Does, does mudder runner, tougher mudder. Well, I never understand <laughs> why any you. human being no. wants to be sh- all dirty and filthy, <laughs> sweat, and you're going to run, not go home and take a shower, because you're going to run in mud and, and, and not even like, like mud to make your face look nice. No, like no. normal mud. But, you know, that's not my world. But anyway... I don't understand why you, if you, you're into building team activities, right? Yeah. So why is little Penelope playing um, field hockey, right? Because team and learning teamwork, rolling out cookies, but we have to make bushel amounts. Yes. Yeah, you, you have to make thousands, right? Yeah. right? You want to kill somebody. Your mother's complaining her back is hurt. And why'd you get me involved in this? I can't do it anymore. You know how much we spent on these stupid cookies. They're not going to eat them. going to throw them out. That's part of the experience. 
Yeah, I think there was a rebellion of women at a certain point against those tasks that were considered, you know. Why? Well, because I it, was like, it was all this, like, this emphasis on modernity and, you know, you can get the pre-made stuff. It's a sign of, you know, you've reached a certain level. Well, the, the pre-made stuff I, I agree then, with to an extent because you know, yeah, that, the, the idea, yeah, that's true. Because it I, was considered, you know, just too much. You know, women went to work. It's the same, you could, you could argue that a lot of, you know, these other, um, what was considered women's work, whether even if it was like, you know, embroidery you or needlework. You came from very, very forward-thinking people. <laughs> I came from people that thought like, I don't have to do this. I can understand it, but it wasn't You're like I'm a woman. You're talking to the woman, woman who makes 690 no, 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 kuchidadi. Yeah, yeah, they are delicious, by the way. They are the best kuchidadi, I have to say. I don't, my any, grandmother any, included, they are the best. They are anybody the who did any mod, my grandmother would criticize me. She'd say, she'd say, instead of running out, she should be home cleaning her house. That was my grandmother's famous comment for everything. Instead of her doing X, Y, and Z, why isn't she home cleaning her house? And then my grandmother would make the comment, she probably has a filthy house. So when it came to stuff like that, the only time I would say in the sense of, of, I don't think it was, I'm a woman, I don't want to make the cookies. It's like, we don't have the pressure. That's what I tell people all the time. They don't understand what frozen food was to that generation. No. It's like, wow, I can get strawberries all year long. Yeah, I can get string everything. beans in January. But sometimes it's just like in. But you might be from more food thinking people. In, I, in I, today's I from, generation, from an Italian American standpoint, from like a bridal perspective i knew a lot of girls that like are like oh i don't make the cookies basically you know we're gonna yeah. buy them we're gonna get, we're gonna get macaroons yeah i'm gonna have a macaroon mm. tower even though yeah, I'm Italian. Macaroon, macaroons i could sympathize they're not easy to make i uh, know i'm just saying <laughs> you like screw them up real easy you know what i'm saying like they want to have all this fit they want mini cupcakes yeah. and they want cake pops yeah. and they want all Stop this it right there. You know, hold on a minute those these cupcakes gotta go no, I'm going to say this, and you can know what, delete me, call me creepy like that other guy did about the Sanguinat. <laughs> Number one, you come from the best culinary tradition in the world. Why do you have stuff that's in Sevi that has no taste? I agree. You put cupcakes that have no taste because, you know what someone said was a catering hall in New Jersey to us? He goes, years ago, people cared about the food. Now the kids come in and they want to have carnival food. Yeah. yeah. So they don't want, they want all this <laughs> carnival food. Oreos dipped in whatever. That's you want to save it for your kids' birthday party. That's not for you have a mac and day. cheese station at your wedding. What is that? Get a like, cookie what? that's an Italian cookie that has a flavor. Or now maybe your cookies stink and you don't have a good recipe. Because I've had a lot of people give me cookies. I'm like, I'd be embarrassed to give these to people because they have no flavor. But it means something to them. No, I know. Get it from a bakery who can make a cookie of substance. That's a good cookie. If no, I didn't I make a good cookie, I would get an outside cookie. You know, I can understand if there's no one in your family that, that can make, you know, cookies of that caliber for, you know, I remember when I got married and I have videos of it and they're the, some of my most precious memories of my great aunt and my nonna making cookies for my bridal shower in the basement, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and it was, it was so important to me. And I just, I remember saying on the videos, like, it's my turn. Like, these are my cookies. These yeah. are for me. And I helped make some of them too. And I had a mix of stuff. You know, I had a Ferrero Rocher tower, you know, I had the, oh, the, yeah, you fancy. the but I made <laughs> sure. The rep party. Instead of running here, running there, pictures of people Make a drunk. Cookie night. That I don't understand why you took a picture of yourself drunk. You look a mess. The whole nine years you're going to get married. You put stuff on signs and sisters on you. I wouldn't do it if I was getting married, but that's none of my business. Patrick, the Make woman the that you marry would definitely have her bachelorette <laughs> yes. in a basement making cookies. I think the bachelorette. Hands down. 
That's that's <laughs> for you. That's the lady that podcast talking about. That's your girl. <laughs> the divorce Italian style. Yes. We came back to wedding traditions. That's exactly right. Well, so that's a good party. Sign. Listen, <laughs> let's clean it up. Let's get rid of the bachelorette party and make it a cooking. Because I don't see, but this is the problem. It's not, there, there's people out, there's feminists out there with pitchforks. I don't. I, to me, it's the most. My to me, it's the most beautiful. I would like to. If I no had a bachelor party, no one on this party, podcast is make, arguing no, with hold me. No, hold on. You're arguing with me. Listen, I'm not arguing I, with you, no, but, but you're saying, arguing with me. If I had a bachelor party, I'd have a cookie making bachelor. Yes, you would. That's absolutely true. You'd have a pastiera yes. making yeah, bachelor. Yeah, pastiera making. Exactly. <laughs> you, That's what you, I'm saying. You'd get married right. <laughs> Oh God! You, uh, remember how you burnt all your pasieras this year? That was fun. You burnt no, that them all. He burnt them all. That was the Malloy. He was in the nastiest from, mood. You think that came from nowhere? You were in the nastiest mood on Good Friday. I was texting you. You were in oh, a yeah, nasty you were really mood. Mad on Good I was so about angry. That. Nasty. Yeah, I even got a text. You got a nasty text? <laughs> no, I didn't get a nasty text. I didn't get a nasty text. It was burnt on. Listen, I don't want to talk about the pastiera thing. I should have done, and because I'm a learner. Right? Yeah. So if you have a better way to make something than I do, I'm going to listen. Yeah, I always listen to a certain Bastida expert on how to bake it, and I didn't want to spend the time, so I rushed it up, and I baked it higher and quicker, and the bottom's burnt. And what does this have to do with a wedding, except that you should not cook a Bastida should be low Yes, low and, and slow. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I get that argument every year. But needless oh, to say, this is too much. This don't is, they have Jack and Jill? Have a Jack and Jill? A Jack yeah, and Jill? Whole a bachelor, bachelor point where people make cookies. Well, at least it's not x ray. You have to be embarrassed. Yeah, why not? Because my mother sees people's bachelorette parties on Facebook and she grabs oh, she her chest. Oh, my, you mother, have no yeah, idea. She's the last. <laughs> she goes berserko. Yeah. She's never listened to a podcast episode so I could say stuff like this. She freaks out when women don't wear stockings. Wow, she goes berserko. That's old school. She goes. I'll give you that. They that. Were, got married, and I'm like, they, I'm like, you're living. She, this is this is my mother at a wedding. <laughs> you're never gonna best. hear. She loves a dais. That's oh, where wow. I get it from. The, the Dean Martin style. And she's and they, when they have these sweetheart tables now, she goes berserko. She goes, these <laughs> girls spend all this money on the dress, and nobody can see them. And then the bride doesn't have. And when the bride puts flip flops on, forget about that. <laughs> you spend all that money getting those shoes dyed, and they're walking around with flip flops that don't even have stockings on. I I, can't, I have to agree with Kathy. A pet peeve of mine is when a bra, especially a bride, takes the shoes off. Wow. Yeah, she right. goes berserk. I she hope she's stockings. wearing something. When she's walking around barefoot in the hall, I I, I have no words. Yeah, you know, I can see I, that. You but, my, but my mother is living in. I had a second I, pair of I shoes. had a broken toe. Yeah. <laughs> you did. I had a broken toe and I pulled it together. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody good. was making fun of plastic on furniture. My mother not only has the plastic on the furniture, because my mother has everything, everything in my mother's living room. She calls the parlors from 1968 when she got married. And then it all looks like she got it on Tuesday. Never been used. It's all covered in plastic. But the best part, he's over the Capo de Monte. She has the 1968 television. You know what the cabinets that open? Now, if you're as millennial, you have no... If you're Gen Z, you're going to have no idea what <laughs> yeah. this well, is. I, I have no she idea if you're telling cam- the truth or not because no one's allowed at your house. No, but she had the... She had the... <laughs> she had the open... She had the open television thing. And she t- got rid of the TV inside, but it's like a storage cabinet. She has the 1968 sure. TV, TV cabinet, yeah. but it's an empty credenza, cadenza. right? Yeah. Credenza is a yeah, credenza. I think that's right. I could be wrong. But. If you're listening to this right now, you earned a special gold star. Come see us and we'll give you some cookies off the cookie table. Patrick, we have a cookie party. Patrick, once we reach like a milestone, like 50,000 followers, can a lucky listener be invited to your home? 
for cookies. For the thousandth episode, we'll do it in your house. Yeah, thousandth I'm, episode, it, has it will be, to be live from Pat's house. No, and because, special because listeners if, will get if you then it's like the it's the prize that once you give it, you can't re-give. So yeah. you gotta dangle it. <laughs> so the ten thousandth episode. It. All right, ten thousandth episode. Can we do ten thousand cookies for ten thousand episodes? No, ten thousand I'll be dead by then. Yeah, we'll be dead We're by at then. Two fifty eight. How old no, am I gonna be at ten? I'll be no. in the cemetery. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You gonna bring cookies to Holy Cross? <laughs> Think that through. <laughs> we'll figure that. Something, oh. Something's gotta give. We need a prize. Ten thousand. How about a thousand? Yeah, thousandth episode we'll do that. Ten, I could see five hundred. Uh, I mean, five hundred. It's gonna come up in like a uh, couple of years. Yeah. Okay, five hundred maybe. Yeah. Are you ready, Pat? It's gonna come up it's gonna happen you got you can't back out how are we gonna be at 500 that's a couple years from now uh, who knows <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> boy here we go okay. if we're still alive if we're still alive that's true god spares my grandma's uh, response to everything that's true yeah. are, are you so going so to the event uh, god willing god, if i'm alive <laughs> yeah. god no, willing you're the sophia petrillo <laughs> of this show well, listen to me listen to me there's a guy who went to bed last night That's who had true. no idea he was get, not getting up this morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. And one day, oh. right, so... My grandmother used to say that. God, my grandmother, my grandmother never all, made never, an would never say correct. She never made an affirmative statement without ending with God's You know spirit. who used to drive my grandmother up a wall? When people had birthday parties before their birthday because that was bad luck. That, that oh, the old school, luck. the old school, and then we're going to wrap up. The old school, they would go berserko if you put up a... Baby's crib before the baby. Yes, was that's born. fair. You're right. They wow, so absolutely. All my bad luck can be explained by the fact <laughs> that we had my sweet sixteen in June instead of July. Yeah, correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct. That was a bad luck thing. You couldn't now put we the figured baby, it out. But you couldn't put any the baby stuff. Like that's why my grandma's crowd was freaked out when baby showers. Even started. picking names and stuff. They were yeah. very, yeah. very. Baby say, showers are very unitalian. Yes, yes true. I, and you know who? Yeah, there's a lot of Italian people. <laughs> you I know, know why showers, bad luck. showers, a few in, Italian showers people. in general. We don't like to shower. No, <laughs> no, but you know what? No, my grandmother say. Yeah, no, my, cousins in no, Italy you know my grandmother say. Ways. That when the engagement party started, our booster for the engagement party. Yeah, another booster for the shower, another booster for the wedding. We got a kid. Yeah, that's that's not the Svachima booth. No, my boost. grandmother used to say when the when a wedding invitation come to the mail, not the Svachima booth. That's what's true. That's yes. very true. That's true. You're not kidding. We've had that conversation. That was the first show we ever did talking about yeah. this stuff. So it's it is a nice cycle to come back to this topic. It's one we always come back to because it, it you know these these traditions mean a great deal to uh, people. One last question: Do you still have the book with the envelopes? How much people gave? My mother has it from, from 1968. Me? For my wedding? Yes. I have it digitized in my phone. My yeah. mother has. <laughs> I know. My, anytime we go to a, if it's a wedding, I got to give the same. If it's a, their kid's baptism or some other, you know, not not the Svajima face like you said, I got to give a portion face. of it. That's the that's the algorithm we need. You know what, what did they give you at your wedding? You got to give that same thing. If you have the same amount of people, and if it's a, what if it's a baby shower, then you got to give a fraction. What's the, what fraction is and baby then, shower? And is it is it their second wedding, third oh, wedding? The you best know? one. Right, we the need best, factors here. The best one. My mother had to go to somebody that had like thirteen kids. She had to go like they're engaged before the shower. Yep. The wedding. My mother goes, how am I ever going to make it? Do you factor that in? And and it's your fault, Sachima, because you're never going to get married, and she's never going to get that money back. back, No, she said to me one time, when she was going to a wedding for them, she goes, I will. She goes, I'm going to throw you a shower. What do you call it? A shower? She goes, I'll throw you a shower one day. Even just if you bring know, me back just to get envelopes. back to everything, she, yeah. she, she, because she they got divorced, they got married three times, they got invited to all three showers. She goes, they invited me the first one. I got to the- you need a fake she wedding. Should, she should do- invite them all oh, to the Columbus past. Day thing. Yeah. No, yeah. Let let oh, that's a big no, news. No, yeah. let, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. We should announce right here. 
and we're inviting all of our listeners to join us. We're, uh, we're actually going to, and Brendan's in the room right now. He's going to be the one in charge of getting this executed. Oh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble <laughs> then. Forget it. It may not happen. Oh, no. It's October He's going to throw me under the, he's gonna throw me under the, the cart. What they call that thing? What the, the, they the call that big car. thing? The float? the float? The float. I'll be under the float going around and around but and it, around. But it's October around. 7th, right? October yes. 7th, 2023. I think uh, Pat's float should look like a careto. That should yeah. be his Oh, <laughs> I'm going to make it all Sicilian perfect. Pat is going to be the Grand Marshal. Not the Grand Marshal. Italian American Man of the Year. Italian American Man of the Year. Jersey City Columbus Day Parade. And afterwards, we're not going to announce the venue yet because we have to book it, but we're going to have a nice dinner and all of our listeners and friends are invited to come and join and celebrate the one and only, the notorious P.O.B., the Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. It's going to be a great opportunity to really uh, get some time with a guy who deserves the honor. So you, you're Thank always you, the Italian-American of the year to us. And uh, this year. But in now Jersey I can City. die. My life is complete now. No, yeah. and I also That's the highest stopped. Jersey yeah. City honor. No, really. Like, I, I'm, I feel like, what was his name? Alexander the Great. <laughs> You've done I, it. I, I hate to, the mountaintop. Uh, I also spoke to John John Dyke at, uh, at ISDA, and he agreed that... You're going to be 2023's La Nostra Voce's sexiest man of the year. That's true. Oh. Yeah. That's true. Oh Wrap all God. the honors up this year. <laughs> get everything you need oh to get God. out of this Can year. Can I be it's your stylist? You're going to do a seventh fall district? <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you with the, just the pastiera. Like, there you go. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Perfect. Uh, we've You're all sick. lost it. <laughs> we've all That's lost it. That's Sicilian in you. You're sick. Please all sign off on I've that. I've been amongst <laughs> no only problem. my own people for days. Of oh, course, come on. To begin with. Well, this has been a lot of fun meandering. Thank you guys for listening to these two. We hope you've really enjoyed it. We are in heaven in Italian America here in Pittsburgh at the ISDA, and we'll be back next week with a little bit more from our time here at the convention. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano, 